You're listening to On the Couch with Carly. Carly's Couch is a safe space to talk. I'm a psychologist, but I'm not your pipe-smoking, tweed-wearing stereotype. Hello and welcome back to On the Couch with Carly. I am so excited to introduce my guest today. I have Zach Watson here. Well, technically he's in the States far, far away and we've had some fun and games trying to coordinate our time zones and to, so that we can talk today to... Um, yeah, to have you over on the couch, as they say, is so exciting. So I came across Zach's TikTok a few months ago. Uh, Zach is a new dad, and he's passionate about sharing content that is relevant to new parents. He offers a unique take, I guess, on the role of dads and encourages dads to be as present and involved as possible. We'll talk a bit more about his stance on paternity leave. I've discovered a few other things about Zach as I've got to know him beyond his TikTok, and that is that he's also, he's a teacher. But some fun facts about him is that he's also a rapper. <laughs> you can find him on Spotify. <laughs> and uh, he, he does like educational rap on YouTube. And he's also written a book called Ideas Over Coffee and has a TED Talk. And yeah, just I love that you have so much to say and have found so many mediums and platforms to say it, <laughs> to say it on. Thank you so much. Yeah, so cool. But so maybe just start by telling my listeners a little bit about how did you get to being on TikTok and what is your TikTok about and what is your intention for using this platform and the other platforms that you're on? I was listening to a book recently, Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. And she was talking about how a lot of people talk about the corporate ladder and how she said that's it's just not a good model for reality. It's, it's like a corporate jungle gym. And I feel like my experience on social media has totally been a jungle gym. Uh, it originally started with I wrote a book because I really wanted to produce an audio book. Uh, and I thought, oh, I guess I guess I guess I can't just ad lib a whole book on audio. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I just wrote a book and then put that out on Amazon. And from there, I wanted to market it. And I knew that a lot of the ideas I just wanted to share with my students, because I think it's important for students to be able to see and hear mentor or role models outside of the classroom. And I feel like they're not getting a whole lot of that. They're getting a lot of entertainment on YouTube and mm -hmm. on the other platforms that they watch. So I said, I want to be I want to be an all-encompassing role model for them. So I started making these YouTube videos back in 2016, which originally started as marketing for my book. And I just kind of fell in love with video. For months, I made videos that were somewhat relevant to their lives. And I just wanted to talk about them. At some point, I was doing goal setting in the classroom. And the administration was like, when are you going to teach math? I was like, well, <laughs> when we're done with goals. Because uh, goals are more important than math. And they're like, no, no, that, no, no, stop that. <laughs> um, so, so I, I boldly went uh, and looked to see if there are any TEDx conferences nearby because I knew that there's probably a low bar to to like be on a TEDx stage because they're <laughs> independently um, organized. And I lucked out, and there was a, a couple months away. I bluffed and said, yeah, I'm a speaker, and this is my YouTube channel. This is my book. And then when I sort of bluffed instead of speaker. What, what I meant in my head was, yeah, I speak to 28 kids at a time in front of my classroom every day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they let me on the TEDx stage. I talked a bit about how I make my dreams become goals. Uh, I start taking actions consistent with them. And then reality sort of just shows up. And I did that with teaching. I did that with writing the book. I've now consistently done that with rapping. And I guess you could <laughs> say with TikToking. Since the TED Talk, I kept making YouTube videos for a whole year. I did a YouTube video every day for my students. And then I realized that I was, I was burning out a little bit. Other parts of my life were sort of falling. And I, I kind of had to put... I actually had a viral video uh, talking about having a pride flag, uh, LGBTQIA mm. pride flag in my classroom. And I got really involved with that. Like for me, 100,000 views on YouTube was crazy. Mm. And uh, then I found myself spending too much time and my relationships were not thriving. And, you know, my, my work performance was not thriving. So it took some time off that. And I sort of rediscovered TikTok. Or I, I discovered TikTok when I realized that the, the form in which I like to make videos is off the cuff 
really basic, simple, not much editing. You know, YouTube, I was spending up to an hour a day on videos, uh, delivering a message. And I realized on TikTok, I could spend five minutes uh, yeah. talking and then editing. Um, so actually, I started taking TikTok seriously at the beginning of this year. I got zero, well, not zero, but very close to zero traction for the first eight months. And I think I sort of started to find my my voice and my purpose for what people wanted to hear, what they're probably been hungry for. Um, when I started talking about being a new dad, the very mm-hmm. first scary post that I put out there that I was trying to be vulnerable and be real was, you know, the first 15 hours, you know, we were still in the hospital and I, I felt like I was missing something like I was expecting this moment of like tears and pure joy and like this uh, ethereal, like euphoric moment and it, mm. and it didn't come. And I feel like a lot of what we've seen on social media with, oh, my life is forever beautifully changed and these really wonderful sentiments, like I was judging myself against those. Um, and so that was one of the first things that I shared that uh, was really hard. And a lot of people actually, um, that's been my most stitched video for those that don't know what stitching is. You take five seconds of someone else's video and then comment on it or sort of react and 72 people agreed with me that like that moment for them didn't come immediately, even moms, uh, when their babies were first born. So uh, since then, I think I've been doing my best to provide a, a vulnerable sort of raw experience of what it's been like being a new parent. Um, I've been lucky enough to have 12 weeks of paternity leave, and I... I seem to have manifested an extra month of paternity leave, although it was actually that I had my appendix taken out. And uh, it was on the last day of paternity leave, I got appendicitis. And so uh, <laughs> I was out on another, uh, wow. I am on my last week now of, uh, of leave. So technically, right. I would say I almost got 16 weeks of paternity leave. So I think you absolutely nailed it. What is unique and so desired, craved, is this voice, this voice that you offer, which is a new dad, a vulnerable experience, one that speaks to both mom's and dad's experiences, but from the perspective of the dad, which is so validating, actually, for mom's and dads. I mean, I think you have a lot of moms who follow you, right? It's not just dads who follow you. Yeah, it's like 94% of my people are female. Uh, okay. I'm assuming that a super high percentage of those are moms. Yeah, because I I mean, as a mom, I can just feel the the woos come out of me. Woo, you know, <laughs> like someone saying it. <laughs> um, mm. the, the very first video I saw of yours and the one that I shared on my, on my Instagram was the one where you talk about going sober during your wife's pregnancy. Can you tell my listeners a little bit about that? And, and, and on top of that, sort of branching off from that, a few other perspectives that you've gotten through the process of pregnancy and birth and postpartum that have been your your principles now that you sort of share with people. Yeah, so uh, I I chose to be sober with my wife during pregnancy. You know, our first beer postpartum was together, mm-hmm. and the main reason I did that, and it's kind of funny because my mom, when she found out Alyssa was pregnant, she said, "You're." G- you're going to be pregnant with her, right? And Mm. my mom just like, that's like her bar. Like that's her expectation of me is that I'm going to be as pregnant as she is in terms of giving up things, uh, trying to be on a similar level of um, empathetic support, I think. Mm. And so what that looked like for me was not drinking because she couldn't without, you know, delivering a healthy baby, Mm. um, really trying to not take any other drugs besides what she could take. At some point, um, I wore a weighted vest at school during my workday so that every time I was going up the stairs and I know she would feel pain, I was also feeling at least some annoyance, maybe not pain. I knew that she had really hard time doing temperature regulation, so she would wake up in a sweat in the middle of the night. So Also, while wearing my weight vest, I wore a hoodie in hot summer uh, and just reminded myself every time I want to take this sweatshirt off, she doesn't have that opportunity. I tried to be there for as many of the appointments as I could while she was pregnant. 
we couldn't do to COVID. So I was there via phone. But during pregnancy, I think I really tried to be empathetic to her situation and see it from her point of view. You know, as close as I could, there's only so much I can fully do. <laughs> Two things that, that have been criticized for, but more more jokingly than anything is I honestly offered, I was like, I'll try to gain weight with you and like <laughs> lose some of my my pre-baby body. Um, I'm honestly not very good at gaining weight. Uh, I accidentally lost weight actually. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like I, I, I tried offering that to her. I said, I'll just eat junk food. And she's like, no, that's just stupid. Let's not do that. Um, I recognize one of my sort of privileges as a male to be father is that there is no postpartum body for me. You talked about it in your previous interview is there one of the phrases that's talked about is bounce back. And there's like, what is this bounce back that people talk about? There is no going back to what you were previously. It's just like a new person and in, in a life that you need to embrace. So bounce forward, if anything. So I wanted to try to empathize with that because I don't have to buy new clothes because uh, they all still fit me. I'm I'm pretty frugal myself, but I really tried to embrace. Okay, yeah, like her body's changing. I fully support her buying new clothes, especially if she is feeling any kind of guilt or um, you know body image issues around having mm-hmm. the baby and and being in maternity clothes. So I feel like one of the one of the big things that I I try to talk about is building like an empathetic mindset around being a dad because there's so much that doesn't change for us mm-hmm. that we almost have to force ourselves to see what is changing and I think that as pregnancy has gone on I've really seen a lot of the inequalities in our world based on how much didn't change for me that I almost had to try to force to change as things went on. Sure. So so this sort of extreme version of empathy where you actually try to walk in someone's shoes. <laughs> is this something that you've done before? Is this is this the first time you've tried to neutralize your privilege? I'd say it's probably the first time I've really tried to do it. I think that um, over the past couple of years, so when I started teaching, um, I started teaching at an alternative school where most of the students were living in poverty. The second school I worked at, pretty similar. Um, it was the poorest of seven middle schools in a city. And you know, I just saw a lot of what I had compared to what they had. Then the following school was the opposite end. It was very privileged. And all the time I would sort of, I, at one point I, I said something, I, I wouldn't take it back. I would want to clarify it more. And I'll, I'll say it just because I, I feel like this is sort of vulnerable for me. At one point, one kid was getting picked on by another kid. And I, I think I must have seen a video or something that morning just being like really upset with the world. But I was like, you are a white, straight male. You have nothing to complain about. I, I, it just like fell out of me. And the, the class was in an uproar. But I think it was a mixture of, um, it was probably something I had seen with like Black Lives Matter that morning. But I feel like through my educational teaching experience, I've seen the very, very opposite ends of privilege. And I think that I've been able to recognize more and more how much I have and how much privilege I have. And I've been looking for ways to neutralize it or at least to use the privilege that I have to help leverage and help out others. Since then, I've worked at two more alternative schools. Currently, I'm at a alternative school that's all girls. Uh, they've all been through some sort of trauma. They all live there. Um, and it's a really, really tough environment. And one of their huge goals is emotional regulation. Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing a lot of where they come from, and I might have even taken my my family for granted, like recognizing that I've had two parents. There has mm-hmm. been no divorce. My wife's had two parents. They have not been through a divorce. Even just that, I didn't realize was such a privilege. Mm-hmm. So I think my educational journey as a teacher has really helped me see how much that I have. Mm, sure. And what has been the backlash that you've received for that? I'm just like picturing 
I mean, a million things that people would say <laughs> in response to a man carrying a weighted vest or not drinking, you know, or whatever it is. Yeah. What have been some of the, the comments you've received or criticisms potentially from men? <laughs> I think a lot of men probably know on some level that it would be really good for them to do that. And they probably know it deep down. So I don't really see too many angry comments from men because they know they're going to get eaten alive by my very <laughs> supportive following. One one person will chew me up and then like a hundred comments later of support. I, I never have to make response videos because the comment section does it for me. Um, <laughs> it's actually kind of funny. So many people think, oh, Zach, you get so much hate. Actually, like if you were to draw a pie graph, you'd barely even be able to see the amount of hate based on how much support there is. But I find it really fun to speak to the angry and the disagreeable comments. So I would say one of the one of the really interesting things that I've discovered is that the video that has the most views is of me just rocking our baby to sleep in our arms. She's pretty upset. She's crying during it. I felt a little weird posting it. I wasn't sure if it was right or not because it, it was definitely vulnerable. And it's of our daughter. She didn't give permission to be in the video. But I think the result of it has been really positive for a lot of parents out there. But it's just me doing that. And in the captions, I say, this is the shift that I take from 7 p.m. to 3 a.m where I'm with her so that my wife can get some sleep. And we've agreed that if we're pretty sure she's hungry and if I'm unable to calm her down, that I'll go wake up Alyssa. And I said towards the end in the caption saying like, the hardest part for me is not hearing her cry. It's knowing that I have to go wake up my wife because she wants to, to take care of her. And the really strange and interesting things that a lot of moms would say would be like, that mom is so lazy. Get her ass up and like feed that baby. And what? I think it, it, I think what I discovered through talking with other creators and through a lot of reading tens of thousands of comments by now is I think a lot of moms have this experience that having a baby is like full sacrifice, that like you no longer have a life. It's just mm -hmm. the baby and you are. You're at the whim of the baby's every need. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that also comes from, in our world, there is a lopsided amount of support coming from moms versus dads. And so I think a lot of moms probably, I, I call them martyr moms, mm. is I think that they feel like their efforts are not valid when they see another mom getting paternal support. Mm. That is so fascinating. I 100% I agree with you. And I think that the martyr mom is something almost all moms have, they have a voice inside of them that speaks the martyr mom narrative, right? That it's almost like all of us <laughs> yeah. have, have had a conversation with our inner martyr mom at some point. And it's so interesting to hear you speak about it because if you don't know it, it can feel like that's just the voice of mom. Like that's just the good mom, right? That's just, that's just me in relationship to the, the ideal and the expectation. And if I say no to that voice or if I choose to do something for myself instead of meet my baby's needs in that moment, then I'm bad. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. And, and the emotions and the investment in that, which is so interesting, that a mom would be so angry with you for, towards your wife for exhibiting mm. something that betrays that model of motherhood, you know? Um, yeah. That is fascinating. Another, uh, another pretty big thing that I've come to talk about quite a bit, a similar video that I made, uh, it's me rocking our baby to sleep. It turned out she was overtired and not hungry, uh, despite the sounds of her cries. We had thought at first were hunger, but over a three-minute video, I show just like rocking her. Eventually, I put my Alyssa's shirt over my shoulder and she smells it and, she, and she's a lot more calm. And one of the things that I say in the captions of the video is to let dads fail. Mm. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of moms, probably similar to what you're just speaking to, is they have that mom instinct that's like, my baby's crying. I need to go step in. Dad's not getting the job done. I need to push him out of the way and be with my baby. I really, I don't blame moms for it because I know that the way she's described the physical pain of hearing her, her daughter cry uh, mm -hmm. is very different experience than what I have. And I know that, you know, billions of moms are experiencing that. And I think 
it, it's counterintuitive to their instinct to allow dad to be there with the baby and the the baby might be crying in their arms for some time. But what I learned in that 7 p.m. to 3 a.m. shift that we did for, probably did it for over a month, was I had to learn by failure. I had to learn by, we had to turn into a game so that I could survive really was if she was crying for more than 10 minutes uh, while you know I was actively trying to soothe her, then I had to go get mom. And if she stopped crying for, a whole minute, then the timer could reset. But my my game was always to get mom as much sleep as I could and to soothe her. So I, I learned a lot in that time about practicing soothing. But at the same time, I learned confidence in being able to do it. I learned that I could do it. And Alyssa, I think, really learned how to trust me, not from a logical perspective, but from like an intuitive, like, from her from her inner self mm. uh, perspective. I had another video where I um, changed the diaper and I think a lot of moms in that moment, you know, our baby was crying and a lot of moms would step in and push me out of the way. And what I said in the captions was, Alyssa came in and she coached me when she saw I was doing something inefficient or ineffectively. However, she stood there with me and, and worked on soothing our daughter rather than pushing me out of the way. And I think that's a huge thing that moms either don't know to do or aren't doing because it, it's not within their bones like it, <laughs> to let dad fail. I think that that's absolutely beautifully put. And that there's two in that relationship. So dads are also, I think, sometimes happy to let mom take over, right? Like everyone knows mm -hmm. what it feels like to be first day on the job. You're feeling a bit wobbly and you don't really know what you're doing and the baby's crying and we all know that hearing a baby cry is distressing. And if someone says, oh, let me just take, you know, you're just like, Whew, I'm off the, you know, I'm out of the spotlight now. It's, it, <laughs> it's understandable that dads would be like, cool, yeah, you take, you take the baby, you know? So I think it takes two. And when the moms come in and take over, dads kind of also go, all right, cool. I shrink away. I maybe I maybe I can't do this. Maybe I don't have what it takes. Maybe mother instinct is a thing that is real, and that mm. you know I, I'm just a dad. Oh, what do I know? So I think it's it's a kind of feedback loop. If like you, you manage to sort of see it and step back and try to do it differently, it can then alter that pattern. But how many of us are actually doing that? And I think that's. I think that's kind of my big question for you. It's like, it feels like you have sort of mastered this, this almost extreme version of this. Um, you know, I think about what you said about your mom and how that's her bar for you. Like just basics, like what she expects <laughs> of you is that you would just fully immerse in this experience. Whereas I yeah. think that is not the case for many of our male partners. That's not an expectation. There's no societal narrative around that. That's not what's discussed at antenatal classes. That's not what's discussed in or written in baby books. There aren't a lot of father bloggers, you know. <laughs> so where, where are we setting the bar, you know? And I think, how are we going to support parents going forward so that these sort of tricks that you're teaching become the norm and not just like the absolute fringe of what, of of what we're seeing in society. Do you know what I mean? I think what I would say is, first off, you know, I, I'm a huge advocate for having to be dad give up something that mom has to give up either because her body can't manage it. It's like, I forgot about this. So one of the other things I gave up was Alyssa couldn't lift heavy weights because her joints are kind of all out of whack when the baby's coming. So I gave up lifting heavy weights and I paid closer attention to what I was doing in the gym. Um, like I didn't do excessive cardio. I stopped doing contact sports because she couldn't. Not, not that she even does do them, but finding something that you can give up that might be really hard so that dads can really understand what moms are going through. Because I think because so many dads have no idea what it's like to have to be super aware of what you're putting in your body, what you're doing with your body because you have this really sensitive thing that's growing inside of you. Because we don't recognize and have the awareness of that, there's so much of the female experience we miss. So that's that would be like my first action item is I would encourage any and all to be dads to find some, like even if it's not alcohol, uh, have it be something at a bare minimum. If you want to go extreme like I did, I, I found that it was super powerful because it created a really team mentality going in. 
I won't say that I've been the greatest husband of all time. Uh, you know, the household chores, she probably still does the majority of, mostly out of habit. I've certainly worked on getting closer and closer to 50-50, but um, that giving up things has made a huge difference in seeing what she sees. So that's the first one. And the second one I would say is, now I'm no politician. I don't know how to really get this done besides making silly little TikToks. But um, (laughs) I think the fact that I've had 12 weeks on paternity leave so that all of the foundational pieces of childcare are sitting with me and not just her. The -hmm. fact that I'm here 24 hours a day uh, not just 16 of them because I go to work for eight. That's made a huge difference in understanding what she goes through, one. So yeah. I'm about to go back to work next week. And what I now know that I would not have known if I hadn't taken all this time off is when I come home from work, yeah, I might have had a pretty tough day, but like I know exactly what kind of day she's probably had. I can look at, we use an app to to cover all of her feedings and her naps, like, I have a pretty good picture of what her day looks like from our app. And mm-hmm. I know mentally and emotionally how exhausting that is. So I can empathize with how she feels. And again, even though I know I've had a tough day, I'm going to come in and know she's had either an equally tough day or a harder day, mostly because she we've been working at this job for three weeks versus I've been a teacher for seven years. So mm-hmm. almost thinking of it like a new job um, mm-hmm. and helping mm-hmm. someone out Mm-hmm. That along with if we can if we can normalize longer paternity leave um, so that dads can get those skills. Yeah. And you had said in South Africa, it's two weeks. Um, yeah. my, my state in America, uh, we have up to 12 weeks that we can use paid. And on a national level, we have 12 weeks that all states have to give, but it's unpaid. Yes. Um, like they can't, they can't, uh, they can't give your job to someone else for 12 weeks if you choose to be unpaid for that time, which is okay. still really hard because so many people are living paycheck to paycheck. Like, yeah. I don't know how many people are <laughs> wealthy enough to actually take advantage of that yeah. Uh, unpaid. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think you make an excellent point. And, and, it's, and it's in my experience with moms is that that feeling of doing it all on your own and learning the ropes of this really new, really hard job on your own without that insight from the from your partner to just at the very least just know what you're doing and what you're going through and why it's hard is so so important and that and that idea of doing it together and establishing the teamwork and I think that speaks to your night shift story as well is that that is that sense of teamwork um, that I think is really hard to achieve and something that is again, not mentioned in the baby books, not mentioned in the antenatal classes, that this is probably for a lot of people the very first time that you as a couple will have to negotiate something that is such a big endeavor on an ongoing basis together that will require a lot from each of you. And and, and yet we don't even talk about it. You know, if you think about how, Mm. you know, almost all religions provide premarital counseling. It's just like standard that you would meet with your religious leader and chat about marriage and what marriage entails and how, you know, how to think like a team as well. But there's nothing like that for when you have a baby. And it seems like it's Mm. so much more critical in some ways because it's so much more (laughs) chaotic and throws everything up in the air. There's, I listened to a podcast with Michelle and Barack Obama where Michelle spoke about how having a baby is like the ultimate stress test for your marriage. You know, it's like, it's mm. really challenging. So why are we not talking about putting systems in place, like you said, for how to think about the team and what your role is in that team and how the systems operate and how the communication will be done? And Because it seems like that's really necessary. I've actually developed a, a sort of couples coaching program. I I do it over five sessions. It's called Ready, Steady, Baby. And it's exactly that, which is three sessions where we go through the themes of teamwork, roles, family relationships, sex, and money. And trying to just look at, you know, how do these things shift when baby comes around? Because it is going to. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when and how. Mm. And we need to be prepared. And I think, yeah, it's the time on the pitch that's so important. Like just actually having the time and 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 being there as a dad, just like 
being part of it, but it's also thinking about it, speaking about it, putting systems in place for it. And then, of course, as you said, the societal buffering of that, like having structures in place on a on a community level in terms of how we operate as societies, um, what our businesses provide us with in terms of leave, etc., there's a lot to be done, Zach. There's a lot to be done. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I do this workshop called Oh Baby WTF. And it's very focused mm. on mom's experience because I developed it with another mom. And we've we've sort of focused it around the process of matrescence. Do you know about matrescence? Oh, I've heard about this recently <laughs> uh, through another podcast I was on. And yeah. I, uh, yeah, I couldn't define it. If, yeah, well, essentially, it's a social anthropological term that was coined quite a long time ago, I think in the 60s. And then it's sort of been brought back recently by an amazing psychiatrist called Dr. Alexandra Sachs. She has a wonderful TED Talk and she's got a great Instagram account and she's she's sort of really brought it back into fashion, which is Essentially, matrescence is the process of becoming a mother and the, the sort of transformation that, that occurs on so many levels inside of, inside of us and within our relationships as women to our partners, to our friends, to our family members, to our greater community, but then also to, to ourselves, you know, how we, how we change as, as individuals, um, our identity, and then also our relationship to our work and to just being, a, you know, an adult or a person in the world. So, this workshop that I do is very much focused around the mother's experience, but I've always been aware that it, it centers around the mother, which I think is really important. I think the work that you do would speak to the fact that dads also need to know about the, the mom's experience. Like that's, this empathy gap is really important to cover. But also, I'm so curious to understand how it is for a dad, you know, like what is having a baby like for dads, you know? We know you've tried really hard to empathize with your wife's experience, but separate from that, you are having your own experience. And as a man in the world and, and as a father, like what would you want dads to know and to understand about how it feels to become a dad? Like from an identity perspective, like what shifts? What what is the what is the transformation like? How do, how is it? changed how you see yourself and how you feel in yourself if you can mm. explain that <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best no I I'll, I'll start off with saying that I know that my experience is certainly not going to be the same as as everyone else's so um, that'll be hard to speak to I'll, I'll say this first is that on a on a funny note I think I've fully uh, accepted all of those dad isms that Talk, get talked about in commercials and get made fun of in pop culture. Um, <laughs> like, like I feel like if I wasn't already frugal and cheap, I am more so that. Um, I have really bad dad jokes. Um, <laughs> I fully, I fully appreciate what's it? Uh, function over fashion. Like I don't care about what clothes <laughs> I'm wearing. I have never really been all that stylish in the first place. So I feel much more at home in my lack of stylishness. Um, but I would say jokes aside, I think that's a tough question. I think I've become a little bit softer to the world and to seeing judging, seeing judging other people, uh, especially given that I've put out so much content for people to judge and, and critique and criticize. You know, I've been parent shamed for a lot of different things and Alyssa has been parent shamed and she's not even on the video for many different things. So I think coming from a content creation perspective and being a dad, I've definitely come to find that I, I might not agree with how other parents do things, but I've gotten a lot softer to realize that I don't need to judge them. For example, one of the things we're definitely trying to do is not have a ton of screen time. And I know that that, uh, you know, in our culture, it's super hard. Everyone has a TV. Most people have smartphones. And, you know, we've used some screen time, especially when we need 15 more minutes of soothing. Um, but, you know, I'll see a, a mom on TikTok say, I, I give them unlimited screen time. And then you'll see all the hate comments. And, you know, I, I think to myself much more than I think I would have previously. I used to think, oh, that is a terrible parent right there. And now I'm a lot more softer to that. 
uh, I think my worldview has, has expanded a bit in terms of seeing the challenges that we thought we would easily be able to overcome have not been that easy. Mm. And so all the things that you, you wish you could do, like we wish we could fully breastfeed 24-7 and not have to pump and not use formula. Mm. Uh, we wish we could fully not use screens. We, I think we wish, uh, those are the first two that are kind of coming to mind that, yeah. that I can see people easily parent, people parent shaming for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would say that's the first one. I, I think toxic masculinity uh, has become more apparent to me and I think I've become more aware of it. Being more in touch with my own feelings, I, I put out a pretty pretty vulnerable video a week or two ago of me crying. Um, and I realized that I, you've spoken to this in your other podcasts. And so many people on social media love putting those picture perfect things mm. um, that make parenting and life look wonderful and beautiful and, and perfect. And that's just not reality. And I'm trying to bring some authenticity to social media. And I think it's kind of funny. It's so easy. When we feel happy, that's like a perfect opportunity to put something on social media. But when we feel sad, though, that's not something we should put on social media. Why is that? I don't know. Um, and I, I think I've come to believe that it's all about perception as we want people to perceive us a certain way. So I've been trying to, I've been trying to lean into some of my feelings more and I'll, allowing myself to feel them and, and not not allow what I think society has told me about what a man is supposed to be dictate how I act and feel and deal with um, big, big emotions. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Zach for president. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is beautiful. I... I love what you say about the parenting shame because I, I I did actually see on your on your TikTok that you were getting shamed for sleep training and um, I know it's a really divisive topic. Um, oh, I can hear your little bubba, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> How are you feeling right now? Are you okay? Is, is this going on for too long? Do you need Do you need to get off? No, no, it's okay. okay. Um, we, one of the things I think that Alyssa and I have, have gotten pretty good at is, so for example, she's still, she's working on her master's degree. And so she has to do math homework uh, a couple hours a week. And so we, you know, we, we use our, our joint calendar and we say, okay, uh, yep, I'm, I'm expecting to take over for the next four hours while you work on math. And when I have things like this, I, hey, Alyssa, I have a, have a podcast interview at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. Do you mind making sure you're able to be there for you know, 7.45 to a little after 9. Um, so I think our, our communication has, has improved in that we know that there are things that make both of us happy uh, and or that are forwarding our career or our general enjoyment. Um, and so we, we've gotten pretty good at partnering around moments like that. Moms and dads, I hope you're listening to this. This is golden stuff. This is this is nuggets. <laughs> I mean, really, that's that's what I what, what I preach in these in these courses, these antenatal courses that I teach. It's just you have to you have to have systems in place. You have to find strategies of communicating and setting up and scheduling things so that the communication is clear. So that there isn't that sense of what I see in parenting is that mom is the default parent. Dad gets mm. to come and go. And it's expected that mom is there. And when mom needs to go or when mom has something on, mom has to ask for permission Mm. to be let off of her full-time job. Whereas dad gets (laughs) to do what he wants when he wants. And there's no permission slip needed. There might not even be communication, right? It might just be done and you figure it out, you know. So what you just described is so beautifully egalitarian. What I wanted, what I was, what I was I asking you about? I was talking about the parenting shame and how, and how, um, Sleep training is so and divisive. Training, yep. Yeah. And I think I think what what I felt in in seeing you manage the criticism that you got on 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 TikTok was just the fact that like it's such a relief to see a dad taking that on. Uh, even just the research. Like 
do you know how few dads read baby books or read blogs or research what products to buy or what um, methods to use or what are even what if, what even is sleep training, right? I mean, I think some dads hear about sleep training and they hear that it helps them get more sleep and they're just they just shove they like they just force it on their on their wives like oh this will get us more sleep you will do this you know but apart from that I don't think I don't think a lot of dads are taking on the role of investigating these options but then also taking on the responsibility for choosing the options so I, I will out myself here is yeah. that <laughs> I, I do somewhat fall in that category. So I will say this is that one of the things that I think Alyssa and I have discovered over our eight years together is um, I'm very good at execution on actions. Uh, she's very good at researching things. So I think okay. that is something that's <laughs> sort of built, built into our relationship is acknowledging who's typically going to be doing research okay. and who will be carrying out the actions on that okay. research. Okay, um, fair. I, I will also say, um, I think because, now I want to make sure I'm not getting defensive because I, I do recognize in terms of like choosing sleep training or not, um, I've certainly, I've said to Alyssa, I have no problem doing full extinction, which is cry it out from like month two. Um, because I think I, I have been of that mindset of like that, that gets us more sleep. I think probably a lot of men, I'm guessing, uh, feel a similar sort of logical perspective and a lot less of an emotional perspective on these things. And what I've tried to do that I think is different than the the stereotype is rather than forcing it on Alyssa, I've been fully open to going with what she wants and going to whatever her comfort level is because I think she is feeling much more of emotional strain than I do especially when we hear um, her daughter crying. Yeah. So I do take responsibility for not, for not taking on full research, for, <laughs> for taking on um, full decision-making. Yes, um, yes. But I, okay. I do that because I think it's best for her. So I think that that's fair. But I, what I did see is that you did receive flack for your choices. And at the end of the day, you stood by that choice. You were responsible for that choice just as much as she was. And I think that that's what I don't see in parents. Like, And I'm not, I'm not criticizing dads here and saying, like generalizing here and saying all dads don't take responsibility and they just, you know, it's all on mom. But what I do think is that what we see on the internet is very often moms talking about the choices they've made in rearing their children. And so it reinforces the idea that moms are the sort of CEOs of parenting. You know, they they get mm. they they're the ones that take that make the final decisions and they're the ones that take the, the flack. And and I think that it's it's you're right that there might be you might have different portfolios within the relationship. But at the end of the day, both parents are responsible for the choices that are made and have to be accountable for the choices that are made as if they are both equally responsible and equally, you know, this is their, this is their job rather than my wife chose this and now I'm, and now I'm dealing with the consequences. You know, I just think, I, I just noticed that subtlety that I think we don't see dads talking about sleep training on the, inter, on the internet. And that's because very often that decision is made by, by moms or it's not something that dads are ever like questioned about, right? Like we don't ask dads. We don't ask new dads. Think about all the like male celebrities that um, talk about their children. Literally, all we ask them is, how's it going? Are you getting any sleep? How was your wife's birth? And then we leave it at that. Oh, they're so cute. Done. We don't say like, oh, what yeah. are, you know, are you using breast or bottle? Like how, you know, how's this, like, are you choosing to sleep train? Um, you know, at what stage will you be sending them to daycare? Like you don't, you don't ask men those That's questions because point. men are not seen to be responsible in that way. And I just think that yeah. that's cool that you're changing that a little bit. And that even if you're not the one that ultimately did the research, you're implementing it and you're taking accountability for the choices that are made. And I think that that's, yeah, it's great. An interesting thing that, as you said, that I thought of was yesterday, I actually had a moment where I think I, my brain went to that side and then I lucked out and had some self-awareness was, um, you know, we've been following the app, which tells us the, the wake window. So it's like, oh, next nap time is in 20 minutes or so. And, you know, 
our daughter was being pretty fussy and Alyssa's like, maybe we should just put her down now. Cause I mean, she's being fussy and you know, I didn't fully, I wasn't sure I fully agreed with it, but I, I went with it cause I, I trusted, I, you know, I, I appreciate her logic and I put her down and we didn't, it didn't really work out. And then she's like, eh, maybe we should pick her back up. And then again, it was sort of her, her, her idea. And then I executed on it. And then there was a huge part of me that found myself wanting to say, I told you that wasn't going to work. <laughs> um, but then again, I realized, but Zach, you're the one that physically put her down. That's, that's as much right. your, you executed on it. Therefore, you are fully responsible for it as well. Yes. So what I think you're speaking to, which is something that we see a lot in with new parents, is the blame game. It's, it's maybe an offshoot of the competitive game of who got less sleep, who who sacrificed more, who <laughs> suffers more, you know. That's a that's a really common one. And, and it's really tough because you're both doing this really hard job yeah. that has, let's be honest, very few rewards. You don't get a lot of high fives and slaps on the back when you're when you're a parent or a new parent. You know, there's there's, you maybe get a smile here or there or like, you know, a good night's sleep once in a while, but that's, that's about it in terms of rewards. So it can be really hard. I, was, I would actually, I'd like to speak to yeah. that right there is uh, the, the slaps on the back and the high fives and stuff is, you know, a lot of times I've, I've received a lot of DMs and comments from mom saying, how do I get my husband to do more of what you're doing? And the typical advice uh, I think there has been a small handful that have received advice and then come back and give me some feedback on how it went. So, for example, one person said, you know, you know, my husband, I know he does some stuff, but like, I just feel like he's not emotionally there for me. I still wish he would actually do our laundry, not just his laundry. What I ended up saying to her, which felt super uncomfortable for me to say, because it felt like I was going to be a real a-hole, is I said, I encourage you to find what he is doing and thank him for it. Because the way I've, what I've learned in teaching is that positive reinforcement is like a hundred times more useful than negative reinforcement. And so all the time I try to implement this at our home is just thanking her for things that are kind of expected of her and, mm. and it ends up being reciprocated sort of. So, you know, if she, if she's, like right now, it's sort of expected. She's just going to be with her while I'm while I'm here recording with you. And what I know I'm going to end up doing is I'm going to be saying, Alyssa, thank you for giving me the freedom to go do that. And all the time, you know, I'll be taking care of Everly and she'll be doing her, her math course and she'll come back and say, hey, thank you for being mm. with that. Thank you for doing the dishes. Thank you for um, getting me coffee. Thank you for making the coffee and having that sort of thank you economy mm. stealing stealing the buzzword from Gary Vaynerchuk, just constantly looking for opportunities to be grateful and thank each other, I think is a really great way to build in those pats on the back, that positive reinforcement, mm -hmm. uh, especially if moms are looking for ways to get their husbands to do more. It, hopefully not in a manipulative way, yeah. but I, I know almost for a fact that if you thank him more for what he is doing, you're going to see more yeah, of it. That's right. That's right. Exactly. And it's kind of, I mean, it's going back to the idea of teamwork. Like that is that is a form of team communication. Whereas the blaming and the com competing with one another, that is not how you do teamwork. And it's so important to just mm -hmm. like keep bringing yourself back to this idea that we, we're in this together. And it's so hard. I think what happens is that it it's like a domino effect. So it starts with the fact that moms are doing pregnancy on their own, giving birth on their own, doing the fourth trimester on their own. It sort of builds up. And then over time, those feelings of resentment and those feelings of like, we aren't actually on the same team here. We, we you know, you, you get your life and I'm stuck here, you know? So I think it's all of that that then contributes to that sort of toxic, almost feedback, that cycle, that cycle of like this vicious cycle of like, actually, we're not on the same team. Actually, I don't feel like we're together on this. Actually, I don't feel like you're taking accountability in the same way I am. And what you're saying is it, it sort of starts all the way back from pregnancy, that that process of building in that team, that team, um, I don't know, ethic, 
Uh, is that the right word? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, I love that. Um, I'm very aware of time and I don't want to go on too long. I, what I want to speak to just very briefly before we say goodbye, and I honestly think I might want to have you on again because I just feel like it, this is so fascinating and, and so lovely. And <laughs> I, yeah, it's really exciting. Um, South Africa is such a patriarchal society and I know this will be like so mind-blowing for so many people to hear a dad talk like this. One of the things I, I feel about parenting and about the journey of, you know, raising a newborn in particular, I think it's a, it's the most intense time, is is this thing of emotions. Like you spoke about emotion regulation with your, with your students. And, you know, I think one of the things about matrescence is that women in particular are, are going through so much physically and hormonally and in like in a, from a brain chemistry perspective. And it can produce a lot of lability, like, you know, ups and downs in emotions. And there isn't a lot of cushioning for that. The word matrescence comes from it's got the same suffix as adolescence, right? So it's 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 almost the same sort of process as adolescence where it's a transformational life stage, something where you're between one stage and another, where there's lots of flux, lots of change, and you're growing into something, you're growing into identity that you aren't quite fully grown into yet, right? So you're, you're becoming, it's a time of becoming, and it can be really emotionally volatile. Like there's big feelings involved. And as we know, babies also have really big feelings. And as parents, we're absorbing those big feelings in our in our infants, and it can be really a lot. So what I wanted to ask you, from a dad's perspective, what do you know about emotions, emotional regulation, working with the different feelings that come up both in yourself and in your partner and with your baby? It's almost like you just did a crash course in emotional regulation, right? And I feel like parenting is like the ultimate lesson in, in emotional regulation. Wait until the toddler years, you'll just see all. Of, it just gets more and more. <laughs> um, but yeah, what, what, have your, what have your lessons been so far? Like what can you impart to my listeners? Ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> Sorry um, to end off with such a tough one. <laughs> no, no it's, it's great. I'm, I'm hoping something good will come out of my mouth. Um, uh, you know, I think I've found similar to what we talked about earlier about how mom typically is the one saying, hey, can I get some time off here? Mm -hmm. And dad often typically doesn't need that permission from like a societal norm perspective. Mm -hmm. I think similarly, I've gotten used to asking Alyssa, how are you doing? Um, and trying to help her regulate just via sharing what she's going through. Um, I, we've been open about this since about week eight is that she is going through postpartum depression and anxiety and she is on medication mm -hmm. for it. And it's been, you know, we've had doctor's visits where we've talked about uh, how she's doing with it. Are the meds working? Um, should they be increased? And so almost from like a, a maintenance type of um, place I'm coming from, I'm often asking, how are, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Um, and I think along with that, because I've gotten so good at asking her, I've asked myself a lot mm. more. And I think she's asked me a lot more. And I think it's just become a, a normal part of our, the culture between mm. us is that talking about these things is important. And it's really like, it can be very useful in terms of um, preventative care mm -hmm. for problems that could occur in the near future. Like a huge warning sign for her for depression was, so we have really beautiful fall of foliage up here in New England of, in the U.S. Um, and she typically loves it. Pumpkin spice, everything, beautiful mm -hmm. leaves. Um, and she just didn't feel the same joy that she typically mm -hmm. does. And that was, that was important for her. And one of the videos I made was, just me sitting on a gurney in a hospital, uh, not a hospital, it was, it was in my doctor's office, um, and just saying that, hey, this is me getting checked out to see if I might have postpartum depression as mm -hmm. well, um, which uh, actually sparked some interesting uh, gossip among people that I know. Sure. Um, they're like, what is he doing? And I think uh, what we found was that one of, the, one of the joys that I have is making videos, and if that were not joyful, 
then there's a good chance that I was dealing with it. Mm. But um, we're ma- we're mainly concerned because I had, I lost about 15 pounds during the first two months, and I just wasn't feeling as joyful as normal. Mm. Uh, we realized it was more just the mechanics of my seven to three shift, and I was missing a whole meal a day. Um, oh my goodness! So it it turned out that I I don't think I have postpartum depression or anxiety, mm. um, but. Yeah, I think trying to come back to your question, I think what I've learned about it is that it's it's good to can get used to having those conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, for couples out there that are not used to having those conversations, the next doctor's appointment that you can have where the doctor, because I, I know it might be a, for a couple that is not used to talking about it, it's probably pretty tough to bring mm-hmm. up. So I would imagine having almost like a third party to help bring it up maybe at one of your pregnancy appointments where both the doctor and the parents are there is especially I'm imagining moms are going to want to have this conversation with dads more so than the other way around. But, you know, bringing up, you know, am I at risk for postpartum depression, anxiety? Uh, What kind of conversations can we be having to check that out? And just starting the conversation, I think was really huge for us. Um, You know, We've dealt with these kind of things for years, so it's already been a part of our our couple culture. But um, but yeah, I think having a, that third party to spark the conversation, and then can in practicing checking in with each other, um, especially like even if you have to make it like almost like corny and forced at the beginning, yeah, it might be yeah. worth it. Is right. is have like in your calendar a weekly check in. We we used to do this when we before our daughter came was we tried to have like quarterly or monthly or weekly like goals sessions where we talk about our individual goals and our finances. And that was real, that helped us save for the house that we're in. We're in a three family house um, and the, the renters pay our mortgage pretty much. Okay. The fact that we sat down and talked about goals, that's probably a pretty good opportunity for couples to sit down and talk about big feelings. Mm, I love that. That is great. It's practical as well, right? It's not, feelings are not these weird, scary, amorphous things that are like completely intangible. And because I think people are scared of feelings. I think people are scared of talking about feelings. I think Mm. people don't have the tools and the language for how to just like have those conversations and that they can occur in conversations that are practically orientated. Like, how are you feeling? What do you need? What's happening for you? What are you imagining? What are you worrying about? What do you, you know, what do you need right now? Like there's something quite concrete about that, which I think is really comforting for a lot of people just to hear that it doesn't have to be this wishy-washy weird thing, you know, that it can happen in almost in the same breath as having a discussion about goals, which seem a lot more like tangible and safe for people. Yeah, I really love that. Um, And thanks for sharing about your wife's postpartum depression and anxiety. I think it's more common than a lot of us actually realize and also exists on a spectrum. And it's something that we all need to think about because the stigma around mental health still exists and it's something we all need to actively challenge, which is just to talk about it more. Talk about it as something that is a health issue, just like anything else. You would you would check your blood pressure, you would check your cholesterol, keep checking your mental health, keep checking that you're okay. And find out, as you said, the the ways to measure whether you're okay. Work out a system so that you know what questions to ask so that you can determine whether I'm okay or not okay. I love that. I think that's really useful. Okay, last question before we go. What has been the hardest part for you about being a new parent? I think it's just seeing seeing my wife suffer. Mm. That's been the hardest part. Seeing her not get sleep, uh, the fact that she is the the chief chef of the house in terms of milk production, similar to what I talked about in one of my more viral videos, was that it it's not actually as hard for me to hear our baby cry. It's really hard mm. for me to see Alyssa struggle. Okay, and just because I think it's good to be well-rounded and authentic on both sides of the spectrum, what has been your greatest joy or the biggest surprise blessing of having a baby and being a parent? I think um, the surprise, I think I think I knew that I was going to find joy in, in having fun moments with her. I, I have the feeling based on a lot of comments and a lot of testimonials from friends and family that newborn stage, probably I'm not going to enjoy as much as when she can communicate mm-hmm. better. So 
I'm going to actually say that the surprising joy has been sharing the tough moments with strangers on the internet mm. and seeing those comments saying, I needed to see this mm. today. I'm in tears right now. Thank you so much for sharing this. I didn't know how much people were struggling out there and how fresh it's been for them to see the rawness that, that I tried to share. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a bit dramatic sometimes. TikTok, you... You add music to, <laughs> to give it feeling. So I, I do know that it's dramatic and I'm being a little bit of a drama queen. But, um, uh, but I think I think so many people just give me the feedback that they needed to yeah. hear it or that the let dad fail so that you can get more sleep. Mm. Um, like knowing that I've been able to impact a couple hundred, maybe, maybe a thousand lives uh, is pretty cool. Zach, thank you so much. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you for sharing your life on the internet. I think it is a worthy, worthy cause and um, keep going. We we value you so much. And thank you for coming on my podcast. I feel so honored and I just love this conversation with you. And I hope we continue our conversation off air on the internet and over each other's posts and yeah, just we'll keep in touch. Thank you. I, I just want to acknowledge you, you know, listening to a couple of your podcasts and listening to what you're up to. I acknowledge the fact that you are interested in in having the world be a better place, uh, having the people that have privilege share it with those that don't and giving voices to people that you feel like are making a difference in the world. I think the voice that you give to the people that you think are making a difference is really wonderful. Oh, so thank oh you for... Gosh thinking that that I'm making that oh. difference and uh, thank you for doing what you oh, do. Oh my goodness. <sighs> Heart eyes. It's really been lovely. Thank you so, so much. This podcast is recorded at Edible Audio in Cape Town, South Africa. Edited by Edible Audio. Original music by Alex Smiley. 